And that is uh, Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, I think, sets the tone for times such as these. Isaiah 6, chronologically, is the beginning of the book. It takes us to the time right about immediately in the days when King Uzziah died in 641 BC, 741 BC, and in 740 to 680 experiences the time of Isaiah's writing of this book. And so, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, the throne, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Hanani, Shalacheni, here am I, send me. Now this was a time in Israel's history that was actually at the end of 52 years, the longest reigning king in Israel, 52 years of successful, powerful, influential, great ministry on the part of King Uzziah. In fact, during this time, it was a time that was marked by power and prosperity. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 1 through 15, it recounts the building programs and the kingdom reforms that King Uzziah was involved in. It involves the campaigns against other nations where he was dominating the nations around Israel. How they were receiving tribute from vassals. How they had built defense cities. How there were agricultural achievements and military advances. This little realm had now returned to its strength that had had lost since the days of Solomon. And yes, for 52 years Israel became powerful again. It was a time of unsurpassed power and grandeur 
and splendor and achievement. But it was also a time that was marked by presumption and pride because we find out that in that time King Uzziah became strong and his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense which was not lawful for him to do. See, under the Aaronic priesthood, it was not lawful for a king to go into the office of the priest. Only the Melchizedekian priesthood would combine king and priest in one office. But under the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron's sons could never step into the kingship, nor could the king step into the realm of the priesthood. They were separate offices. And it was at times like this that Israel found itself in need of a renewed vision. It's in times like this that God's people find themselves in need of a renewed vision. And it was a time for them to look away from the past. It was a time for them to look away from the successes of King Uzziah. It was a time for them to forget about those building programs and to forget about that prosperity agriculturally and to forget about those military campaigns and to forget about all the successes. It was also a time to forget about those failures that had occurred. There's always failures in human leadership. There's always failures for King Uzziah when his heart was lifted up in him, he transgressed, he became proud and arrogant. And he despised and disobeyed God, and he invaded the office of the priesthood. And in times like these, it's important for us to look away from the past. In times like these, we need a renewed vision of the Lord. In times like these, it's time to see the real king. In the year that King Uzziah died, it was time to look away from the past from its successes and its failures. And it was time to set your eyes on the real king. In times like this, in times when there have been great progresses in the leadership of men and great failures in the leadership of men, it's time to look away from men and to look to the real king. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the real king. And it's time, folks, for us to get a renewed vision of the Lord. It's time for us to look away from the past, from men's advances and prosperity and successes and men's failures, and men fail us. Men will always fail us. It's time to see the real king. You know, the last couple of years have been times where we've been distracted in ministry, We've been distracted as a nation. We've been distracted as a people. We've been distracted as God's people. And it's time to look away from the past, and it's time to look back to the real king. It's time to get a renewed vision of the Lord. In times of failure, when human leadership fails us, when divine guidance is needed, 
in the key moments and epochs and kingdoms and dynasties and ministries when God's majesty is once again seen. Isaiah now visits the temple in Jerusalem and he sees the real king. And we need that. We need a renewed vision of the real king. We've been distracted by human leadership for too long. We need a vision of the real king. In times like this, we need a renewed vision of the Lord, a time to look away from the past, days marked by power and prosperity, and days also marked by presumption and pride. And it's time to turn our attention to the real king. Notice what Isaiah says in verse 1 of chapter 6. I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. Wow, what a vision. I saw the Lord recognizing him as Adonai, as sovereign, a verb that means to rule as sovereign king. He is Adonai. He is the sovereign controlling ruler of the universe. We need not fear when he is in control. It's time to look away from the chaos of men to the sovereignty and control of Adonai. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw him exalted. You know, this is actually the same description of the person in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 in the servant song that talks about him who would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace would be upon him and with his stripes we would be healed. Because it introduces him as one that is exalted and extolled and very high, the same words, high and lifted up. It's time to see the real king. The one who's going to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace upon him. And we saw him as sovereign. We need to recognize God as sovereign, true king, sitting upon a throne, enthroned in peace, sitting, ruling as sovereign control of our universe. And recognize him as exalted, high and lifted up, and recognize him as awesome where the long, long flowing robes, literally the border of his garment is filling up the whole temple. We sometimes think of ourselves, yeah, God filled the whole room. No, no, the lower border of his garment filled the whole room and he ascended above the temple into the height of the heavens where he could not even be seen, he was so large. And the border of his garment was filling the temple. What an image, this grandeur. And notice what it says about him. It's time to turn our attention on the real king, and it's time to focus on the greatness of God. Above it stood the seraphim, literally the burning ones. We don't know a lot about angels in the Bible. What we do know about these beings is they're, they're on fire, and they burn with pure holiness. They're the seraphim, the burning creatures who are surrounding the throne like a rainbow. It doesn't say how many there were, but they go around the throne like a rainbow over the top of it. And these seraphim are up there and they're just hovering with two wings and with two wings they're covering their faces out of humility, out of the fear of God as they 
fear to look on his face because of his supreme holiness. As they cover their feet, the feet being the organs that transmit us through life, the decision processes, they fear to use their own direction but respond only to God's. And with two wings they're flying, ready to serve at any moment, waiting the voice and command of God, showing his holiness. And these seraphim are hovering around the throne. And one cries to the other in this continuous antiphonal refrain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Maybe a glimpse into the Trinity. Probably more so the superlative idea of the supreme holiness of God. Hebrew uses repetition to emphasize. Thou shalt keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. Repetition twice. Holy, holier, holiest is the Lord of hosts. Adonai, he is the Lord of hosts. He is also Yahweh of hosts. He is the Lord who is the God who is for us what he needs to be. He's the great I am of the Old Testament. He's the one who is the way and the truth and the life. He's the direction we need. He is the one who is the comfort we need as the comforter who has come. He is the one who is the good shepherd to give us direction and guidance and help and shepherd and care for us. He's the one to give us hope as he talks about himself as the resurrection and the life. He's the one who can fulfill our every need. He's the one who gives us vitality. He's the true vine. He's the great I am. He is the Lord of hosts, the hosts of Israel's army, yes, but more. The hosts of all the angelic warriors, yes, but more. The host of all creation. He is the great I am who is the Lord of hosts, all the hosts of creation. And he is grand and he is holier, holiest. He is the great holy God. And here's this image, and they're crying one to another, holy, holier, holiest, in this continual, ongoing, antiphonal refrain. And Isaiah's overwhelmed. Isaiah's overwhelmed. Because when he sees God in his holiness, realizing that he is sovereign, who is exalted, who is awesome, when he focuses on the greatness of God, that he must be reverent, just like those angels who cover their faces. He must be humble, just like those angels who cover their feet, surrendering themselves to God's direction, not their own. Just, he must be obedient, just like those angels who are flying, waiting for God's command. And listening to the revelation of the Lord that says, God is holy. He is holier. He is holiest. We live in an age where people want to treat God like their good buddy. God is not your good buddy. He's the holy God of heaven. And the whole earth is full of his glory. 
And we need to see this revelation of God, how unique he is. We need to see his dominion as the Lord of hosts, Israel's armies, the angelic armies, and even the creation. We need to see his grandeur. The whole earth is full of his glory, his assets, his worth, his weight. As you look at God, you see what he represents just simply by seeing the creation. When you look into the heavens at night and you realize the nearest star to us, the nearest star to us, if you could travel at the speed of light, would take years to arrive at. When you look into the heavens and you realize that as far out as we can see, there's still stuff. The whole earth is full of his glory. As you look and you create, consider the creation down to the smallest of things that we can even discover and the largest of things we can find. The whole earth is full of his assets, his glory, his grandeur, his majesty. And you know what the response to that is? You see a revelation from God. You see the presence of God experienced where it talks about the posts of the door were moving at the voice of him who was crying, holy, holy, holy. These doorposts were so large that if you were to cut one in half and I were to lie down on what was basically the trunk of the column, it would be so long that my feet or my head would not hang over either end. Huge doorposts that are shaking at the voice that is saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the house is filling with smoke because it's, a, it's where God is revealing himself, yet he's concealed. We could never behold the entire glory of God. We have to see God as he's revealed and concealed at the same time. And that's what we saw in Christ, right? The best revelation for God that we ever have is available in his son. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father, he has exegeted him for us. When we see Christ, we see as much of God as we can stand without being destroyed. And yet at the same time, God is concealed in him. He's revealed and concealed. And this whole house is filling with smoke because God is shielding man from his presence to protect him. And it is, it is at a time like this, in times like these, that we need a renewed vision of the Lord. We've been distracted by people, by human leaders, by those who have succeeded and by those who have failed. And our opinions on that even differ. But the fact is, humanity is always a distraction from God. We need a renewed vision of the Lord. It's time to look away from the past. It's time to see the real king. It's time to turn our attention on the greatness of God. It's time to listen to the revelation of the Lord, how that these angels are revealing that God is holy, holy, holy. It's time to experience the presence of God again. And note that the columns of the doorposts tremble at the voice of him who cries holy, holy, holy. 
And it's time to have a new experience of the presence of God. And he's here now. It's time for a renewed vision of God. And it's time for a renewed cleansing from God, too. Notice what happens to Isaiah when he sees God. Woe is me. Oy vey is the modern Hebrew. This is actually oy lay, woe to me. It's basically the same preposition. Oy lay, woe to me. It's a, it's a cry of despair. Woe to me, for I am dama, undone, which could mean to be silent, but probably means I'm about to be destroyed. And that was the thought of any man. No man will see my face at any time and live, said God to Moses. Samson's parents, when they thought they had seen God, the angel of the Lord said, we're going to die. Whenever any man of God was in the presence of God, he fell on his face as dead. It was likely that Isaiah was simply saying, woe is me. I'm about to be judged. I'm about to die. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. When we get a vision of God, we see ourselves for who we are too, don't we? When we see God as holy, 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 we see ourselves as needful, 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 unholy, 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 sinful, sinful, sinful. We need a savior, we need a savior, we need a savior. When we get a vision of God for who he is, we'll see ourselves for who we are. And frankly, we're not gonna be too impressed. How many of you fared COVID very well? How many of you were happy being locked in your houses and not being able to go to the store without a mask on? How many of you people made a fight out of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? How many of you got into a debate with a close friend and almost ruined your friendship over wearing a mask or COVID or restrictions? How many of you really expressed joy? How many of you didn't have a fight with your spouse for being locked in the same house all this time together? Yeah, I see smiles. I mean, I'll tell you what, at home, all the whining and griping my wife had to put up from with me, I can't believe it. Actually, I don't think we all fared very well through COVID. It didn't bring out the best in God's people, not from what I saw. When we see God for who he is, see ourselves for who we are, we will cry out and say, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And that was probably Isaiah's problem. He was probably complaining, right? The instrument of iniquity was his lips. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and griping and complaining and being unthankful. Those are all sins of the lips. And we can offer the sacrifice of our lips in praise. But sometimes we don't do that. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and I've just seen the king, and I realize it. I have not trusted in a sovereign God who knows well what he's doing and does all things well. And I have not been thankful, and I have not been uh, agreeable, and I have been a problem. And in times like these, we need a renewed cleansing by the Lord, a time to confess our own personal sinfulness. Woe is me, I'm undone. Our condition is we are woeful. Our condemnation is we are about to be destroyed. Our condition, a man of unclean lips. Our conviction, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And as soon as he said that, it became a time to accept the Lord's precious sacrifice. Then flew to me one of the seraphim, having in his hand taken a coal from the altar in the tongs and touching it upon my lips. Why a coal? Well, a coal was the final result of the completion of an offering, right? You offered the offering on the altar, and then once the blood was... Uh, the animal was slain and the blood sacrificed on the altar and the animal fully burned up. All that was left in the end was a glowing coal. And it symbolized the totality of a finished sacrifice that would be used to touch the lips of Isaiah and Isaiah would experience the cleansing of God. And it was always the same thing that cleansed the sacrifice of the lamb. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us and cleanse us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because the blood of Christ is sufficient to wash away not our sin only, but the sin of the world. And he took with the tongs and took the completed symbol of sacrifice and touched Isaiah's lips and the angel said to Isaiah, this hath touched your lips, you are clean. It's time to trust that sacrifice. It's time to confess, and it's time to trust that sacrifice to cleanse us and set us on a right path again to make us fit to serve. So what we see in Isaiah's ministry is the same thing. In times like these, we do not just need a renewed vision of the Lord, but we need a renewed cleansing from the Lord because if we see God for who he is, we'll see ourselves for who we are, and we need cleanse, don't we? Because if you guys are like almost anybody else I know who are believers who went through COVID and all the lockdowns and all the pressures, we did not do so well. We weren't thankful. We didn't believe God was in control, and we didn't behave ourselves as model citizens of another world. It's time to get a renewed cleansing from the Lord. And now that we are cleansed in times like these, we need a renewed mission for the Lord, don't we? And as soon as Isaiah was forgiven and his sin cleansed, what was the very next thing? Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now in Isaiah's day, that was an invitation question. 
but you're a believer. You live in a different dispensation. When our Savior came and died and rose from the dead and showed himself victorious over sin and commander and sovereign of this universe, he left us with one last commandment, didn't he? His last command is our first priority. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So where does he not have authority? Is anyone here who is not under that authority? All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and disciple the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you realize that in Isaiah's day, there was actually an invitation. Whom shall I send and who will go? Guess what? Jesus didn't invite you. He commanded you, didn't he? Go. In fact, there's a word, poruthentes, in the original there. That in all the languages that I am aware of, of English and every other language in the world that's ever translated that New Testament passage, that word is never, ever, ever translated stay. It's always translated go. That means we all have someone to go to, doesn't it? Go disciple is kind of like go sell your car. Go buy some milk. It's a kind of a two-part command, both of which are intrinsically connected. It assumes that you have to go to do this, meaning you have to have movement. It means you have to have an objective. Go disciple the nations. And that doesn't mean that you got to go to Africa, does it? It does mean you got to go talk to somebody. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your work associate. Maybe it's the person across the street. Because you realize you're never going to go over this across the sea if you don't go across the street, right? It means somebody, we all have somebody to talk to. Think about it for a moment. Just be quiet in your head for a moment and listen to these words. Go tell somebody. Who is that person that God just brought to your mind? Is it the neighbor? Is it the person across the street? Is it the work associate? Is it the family member? Because you all have somebody, don't you? You do. You, you have somebody. You have a friend. You have somebody. You have a family member. You have somebody. You have that person that you know that you have a communication with. You have somebody. Because Jesus said, go, disciple the nations. We do that by introducing them to what the gospel is and baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit when they trust Christ and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, which is the discipleship process. Go disciple the nations. For Isaiah, he's invited. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah immediately, having recognized that he has now got a renewed vision of God and a renewed cleansing from God, says, Here am I! Send me! Do you realize you have the privilege of representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The one 
at the utterance of his holiness who makes the columns in the temple quake and tremble? Do you realize you have the opportunity to represent the king of kings as his ambassador and the Lord of lords? Imagine if you represented the U.S. in other nations. Imagine if you represented another nation here in the U.S. Imagine what a privilege that would be, an ambassador. That's what we are. Go represent me to a lost world. And Isaiah, of course, volunteers. Here am I, send me. And so God says, okay, go. Go tell this people, hearing, do not hear. Seeing, do not see. Believing, do not believe. Because here was a people that for all these years had been subject to the invitation of God as he called them to repentance over and over and over again. And Isaiah learned from God that his ministry was not going to be a fruitful one in the sense of people weren't going to respond. They had so long deafened their own ears and hardened their own hearts and steeled their own souls against the word of God that there was going to be no response other than a more of a hardening. What had been their sin would now be their judgment. And the results didn't matter. Isaiah still had a ministry. How was Isaiah going to harden the hearts of these people? And how was he going to plug the ears of these people and put salve on their eyes so they couldn't see? He was simply going to do this. He was just going to preach to them. Because the same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. And what is different is the response of the recipient. But Isaiah didn't have a way out just because they weren't going to respond the way he wanted. How long, Lord, he said. How long do I do this? How long do I have a ministry that just hardens people and doesn't convert people? And God said, till nobody's left. Till there's a great casting away in the land till everyone's driven away you just keep preaching till nobody's left and Isaiah might have said well I don't want that kind of ministry I want a successful ministry and God said it doesn't matter what you want you have a call to go and do this for me we really shouldn't base our evangelism on the results of people that's up to God we should base our evangelism on a response to his holiness and his call and his sovereignty we just tell people and God is responsible to soften their hearts we are responsible to tell them and for Isaiah of course it wasn't entirely hopeless God talked about how there was going to be a cutting down of the tree and yet there would be a holy seed in that stump. That holy seed that would be a hope for Israel's future. That holy seed that would come from the seed of the woman all the way down from Seth, down 
all the way from to Noah, through Noah's son, Shem, the father of Semitic peoples, down through Abram, through Isaac, the son of promise, and Jacob, and from Jacob's son, all the way down to a son of God who's the son of David. And from David would come a Solomon and a Nathan, and from Solomon would come a great descendant named Joseph, and from Nathan would come a great descendant named Mary. And through the biological right, through Nathan would be Mary, and through the legal right to the throne, down through Solomon would be Joseph, and they would have a great deliverer. In the seed of the woman, there was coming a hope. The holy seed would be in the stump, as Isaiah says. There is hope in what we do. We do not, we do not minister in a realization that there's going to be failure. There's not. There's going to be hope. There will be people who are saved. There will be people who respond. There will be hope. But we need to realize in times like these, we don't just need a renewed vision of the Lord. We need a renewed cleansing from the Lord. And we need a renewed mission for the Lord. Because it's never changed. COVID didn't change the mission of God's people, did it? It didn't change our mission to tell the world about the Son of God who came and gave his life that man might have life. Discipling the nations has never changed as our calling. And you folks have been involved in that in your missions program. But it's time really to remember that we don't have a change in our calling. We have a responsibility to go and tell our neighbors and to tell our family members and to tell our work associates and to talk to people and bring them, invite them to be part of God's people and, and let the church prosper and get back on task. I think for many churches, they've been derailed by this. And it's time for a renewed vision of the Lord, time for a renewed cleansing by the Lord, and time for a renewed commitment to the Lord's mission to go into all the world and to reach them with the gospel. COVID didn't change any of that. The past two years, the past three years haven't changed any of that. Political candidates don't change our mission. We're called as citizens of another time and another place. We are citizens of heaven. And because of that, we live in faith and moderation, and we live in a testimony representing another kingdom that we live for in fulfilling the mission to which we're calling. Time to realize the Lord's called us to go and time to realize the Lord sent us to tell. And time to realize the Lord's commanded us to persevere, even if destruction comes, even if a deportation should come where Assyria will actually deport the kingdom in the north and Babylon will deport the kingdom in the south, even if the decimation of the nation reduces the population to a tenth of what it was. We still need to realize God's commanded us to persevere and it's time to realize the Lord's encouraged us to hope. In it shall be the holy seed. We have a reason to hope. 
God has not called us to a fruitless ministry. He's called us to a fruitful one. But he's called us to obey. It's time for a renewed vision from the Lord. Time for a renewed cleansing by the Lord. Time for a renewed commitment to the mission. These are the things in times like these that we need to focus on. Folks, stay the course. Thanks for staying by the stuff. And if you feel like it's time to just let these words take root in your life, yeah, focus on God. Accept the cleansing and the sacrifice and get back on task with the mission to which you're called. It's time. In times when human leadership has failed, it's time to see the real king. <laughs>